Hey everybody, welcome to Permanente Docs Chat. I'm your host, Alex McDonald. I practice family and sports medicine here in Fontana, California, and am a partner of the Southern California Permanente Medical Group. So thank you all for joining or tuning in today from wherever you may be watching or listening. Uh, make sure you follow all the uh, podcasts as well too, so we can catch up on all these great conversations we have here on the Permanente Docs Chat. So I am very excited to welcome our guest today, uh, Dr. Matthew Solomon, who is a cardiologist from the Permanente Medical Group and Director of the Center for Thoracic Aortic Disease, as well as a, a very robust cardiovascular researcher. He's done uh, multiple different areas of research involving valvular heart disease, coronary artery disease, arrhythmias, thoracic aortic disease, um, and February is Heart Month. And so we're going to be talking about all things heart and cardiac care today. So um, if you have, if you're watching this live, uh, feel free to drop questions in the chat, try and do them early um, uh, so we can get to them. And we were going to just jump right in here and keep this high yield and um, uh, enjoy our conversation here. So Dr. Solomon, thank you so much for joining us. Let's just, let's just jump right in. Um, tell us a little more. Tell us a little more about, about who you are and, and what you do uh, up there at uh, Permanente Medical Group. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again for having me. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I'm Matt Solomon, and uh, I work in the KP Northern California region, where I'm a clinical uh, non-invasive cardiologist and a cardiovascular outcomes researcher. I, I wear a number of hats up here um, besides those. And uh, within my research field, I'm a member of TPMG's Physician Researcher Program, and I'm an adjunct investigator at DOR, uh, where I work with uh, several different teams doing cardiovascular outcomes research uh, since in the 10, 11 years since I've been here. I started in 2012. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, I uh, founded and direct a subspecialty program for patients with thoracic aortic aneurysms, uh, which has turned into a real passion of mine um, over the past uh, several years. And um, I'm really proud of that. And uh, I think we've really improved care for patients with thoracic aortic disease quite a lot. Uh, and I think the last hat I wear is I, I started working recently with a team called the Augmented Clinical Intelligence Team, which helps work to implement AI and predictive modeling efforts uh, within NorCal to improve uh, clinical care. Wow, that's phenomenal. So lo lots of different hats for sure. So I'm sure we can talk about lots of those things um, <laughs> uh, and, and touch on a lot of those things. Yeah. Tell us, tell us a little bit about sort of the cardiac care program at, at, at TPMG and how it's, how it's unique. And I mean, I know you mentioned the um, thoracic aortic aneurysm program specifically, um, so feel free to expand on that. But tell us more about kind of the, the comprehensive cardiac care program you have up there. Yeah, we have an amazing cardiac care program um, that, you know, I think uh, is really nation leading. And one of the big aspects of why I'm really proud to be part of this team is that we really practice integrated team-based care. And, um, you know, we have 21 medical centers across NorCal, and we operate in really a hub and spoke model. In cardiovascular care, you have to have teams to take care of patients. It's not just one cardiologist. It's not just one cardiac surgeon. We all work together. And care is, you know, getting more and more complex as time goes on. So, um, you know, there are a lot of uh, disease conditions, which are kind of our bread and butter, you know, the daily things that we see, but we often see things that are kind of rare. We rely upon each other for those rare things. Um, and, you know, patients don't always fit into the box. And so it's really um, important and useful when we're able to get together and put multiple minds on the same case. So, um, <clears throat> you know, to give you an example, we have grown our structural heart program um, over the past decade into one of the biggest programs in the country. Wow. And 
You know, that really re- involves a lot of different uh, practitioners, cardiologists, surgeons, um, uh, imaging cardiologists, because the cases just aren't always straightforward. And so I think our ability to kind of work together and put the patient at the center of what we do really kind of distinguishes us from uh, everywhere else. Yeah, I've said this multiple times before, but it it bears repeating that, you know, medicine is really a team-based sport. Um, And when you can kind of really wrap all those services in sort of integrated fashion around the patient, um, it really makes for for better outcomes and a more efficient uh, uh, care as well, quite frankly, and higher quality care as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, satisfying for the physicians taking care of the patients too, because, you know, there are some things that are uh, kind of black and white in medicine where it's very clear what the right thing to do is, but there's right. so many areas where it's fairly gray and you really need to, to talk out loud about the, you know, the, the data and the um, specific, you know, characteristics of the, the case uh, with your partners and figure out what the best thing to do is. In fact, I remember when I interviewed at KP, one of the things that struck me were the hallway conversations that the cardiologists were having. I was interviewing for a job. And I think during that time, you know, a couple other docs came in the door to, you know, knock on the person I was interviewing with and say, you know, hey, can, can we discuss this case? And I thought, you know, that's the kind of place I want to be. Yep. That's, that's phenomenal. I, I definitely love that approach. Um, tell us more specifically about, about the thoracic aortic aneurysm program, which obviously sounds like you have a, have a passion for and some research in that area as well, too. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm really grateful to um, our group and the, the you know the leaders that, that sort of um, gave me the support to help build this. But it sort of started when I began here. Uh, I had um, some patients with aortic aneurysms, and I hadn't really trained in it specifically during my um, my my fellowship. But I knew that there were some experts uh, at the institution where I trained at, at Stanford University, not too far from where I work now, and. Um, so I kind of asked around and I said, well, who's our expert in aortic aneurysm? Uh, and the, the feedback I got was, well, we don't really have one. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh, this could be kind of interesting. I was, you know, a dovetailing research with my clinical care. I knew this was an area where there wasn't a lot known. So I, I first approached it from kind of a research perspective. And I thought, you know, we are such a big system. We must have so many aortic aneurysm patients. We could put together, you know, probably the largest cohort in the world and uh, help uh, inform care. So I got a small grant to do this. Um, and then as I started doing that and got interested, the referrals started coming in. Hey, Matt, can you see this, you know, um, complex aortic patient? And I, um, you know, kind of got deeper into the, the disease condition. And actually, one of the mentors where I had trained said, hey, if you're interested in this, why don't you come back and uh, I'll give you some additional training. And my group was very supportive. They let me go down to... Uh, uh, clinic, you know, a handful of times to, down at Stanford where I learned more. And um, I really just kind of fell in love with the broader uh, community of aortic um, physicians from around the world that really come together to care for this, um, this, uh, this, this patient team. And they sort of saw quickly that the program that we were putting together was going to be unique. Being mm-hmm. that we're an integrated system, you know, uh, we have incredible experience in population management. Obviously, we do such a great job with high blood pressure and diabetes and all of these preventive uh, measures. We also have the opportunity to do incredible population management for uh, specialty conditions. And that's mm-hmm. what we've built up here. So we manage uh, about 12,000 patients now with uh, thoracic aortic aneurysm. We have a team of nurses and medical assistants, and we work tightly with uh, cardiovascular geneticists and our both cardiac and vascular surgeons. 
And again, that's uh, providing that kind of multidisciplinary, multi-specialty care uh, is really satisfying. Uh, we, we've had the chance to present uh, the program and some of the innovative things we're doing uh, nationally, internationally, and these other groups, you know, want to kind of mirror some of the practices that, that we have. Wow, that's phenomenal! Congratulations on on all that all that work. I guess makes me think of Field of Dreams. If you if you build it, they will come, right? <laughs> yeah, um, kind of true. Uh, I, I think I think one thing that I always like to point out. I mean, again, I practice family medicine and sports medicine, and some of my some of my patients, a lot of my high high end athletic patients, um, particularly if a basketball players. I have a couple of professional basketball players I, I take care of, and you know they we've gotten echoes, and they have a, an, an enlarged thoracic aorta and it's like is that normal for somebody who's seven feet tall or is that an aneurysm and there's a lot of gray sometimes in these areas too and having people like yourself and experts that can really kind of collaborate to really provide the best care is is so unique I, i i i find a lot of patients know about KP for our high quality, especially when it comes to preventative medicine. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of people don't necessarily realize just the the high quality of specialty care that we can provide as well too. And I think this is such a great example. Uh, so kudos yeah. to you and your team for building this. I agree. I mean, you know, for the structural heart program that I mentioned, we do more um, transcatheter aortic valve replacements. It's nicknamed TAVR, but yep. we do more than any place west of the Mississippi. So um, we're really one of the biggest centers out there. And, uh, you know, that team <clears throat> got involved in a lot of the pivotal trials and uh, the team leaders are authors on, you know, those high impact publications. And so um, I think, you know, our organization just continues to distinguish itself. Um, yeah. but, uh, but I agree with you. You know, I mean, prevention is what <clears throat> we built our name on and we do incredibly well. And that's not going to change. We're going to be a leader in that. And, and, and we should be. Um, you know, and that's really, I think, what's responsible for so many of the um, encouraging trends we've seen in uh, cardiovascular disease over the past couple of decades. It's not the care that, you know, we're providing as cardiologists necessarily is the reason why heart attacks have gone down so much and strokes have gone down. It's uh, what you do in AFM and making sure that patients are getting their preventive care. And when they walk in, they're getting blood pressure checked all the time uh, and getting on appropriate medications like statins when it's indicated. So, um that we have, you know, really set the bar for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think, like you said, in a lot of the specialty areas, it's um, also uh, becoming clear that we can set the bar there too. Yep, absolutely. And that's a, that's actually a great segue into my my next question. I was going to switch gears a little bit here, talking about more about prevention. And so, uh, last I looked this up, and I, these stats may be a little bit old. About about twenty five percent of all deaths in this country are going to be attributed to cardiovascular disease, and it's the number one cause of death in the U.S. How do we how do we reverse this trend? I mean, I think we've made progress, but how do we make sure we continue to reverse this trend and, and reduce the the disease and then the deaths due to cardiovascular illness? Yeah, uh, I, uh, I agree. We've, you know, we've made incredible strides with all of the preventive work that we've done. We have seen the, the rates of cardiovascular death and disease go down quite a lot, but it's still really prevalent. Um, and in fact, you know, the, every year they come out with statistics and they look at the leading causes of death and whether it's cardiovascular or cancer, they're always sort of neck and neck. It's not something you right. want to be number one in. Exactly. Right? <laughs> um, but uh I think continuing with, you know, the direction that we're headed, um, you know, making sure that people live a healthy lifestyle, that they exercise, that we are reducing uh, uh, tobacco use and smoking. These are incredible strides that we've been taking. Um, you know, we, the idea is not to just rely upon medicines because once you, you know, get on medicines, medicines are amazing. Don't get me wrong. Blood pressure medicines, statins, you know, I'm a huge believer. 
Um, but there are so many things that you can do uh, just in, with your lifestyle um, to help ward off disease. And I think that, um, you know, it seems that as much as we can sort of, you know, continue to push that trend, uh, then we'll be doing ourselves and our patients, you know, by the service. Yep, absolutely. I completely agree with you. I mean, and obviously as a, as a family physician uh, and a sports medicine physician, I'm, I'm constantly uh, preaching about lifestyle, diet, sleep, exercise, stress relief. It's going to do more for you than any medication we could ever prescribe. Um, yeah. You did, you didn't, did mention statins. Um, and so, you know, I, I think the, the, the needle has moved a little bit on statins. I think maybe five or 10 years ago, we were undergoing what I like to call the statinization of America. Like literally you sneeze and you can qualify for a statin. It felt like, um, but now it feels like we're like readjusting a little bit to find that middle ground. Um, what are your thoughts in terms of, of, of statin medications, A, for, for prevention, and then two, um, what do you say to patients when maybe they're a little bit, you know, hesitant to take a statin, even though their, uh, their cardiovascular risk is maybe 10, 15, 20% in some cases? Yeah, those are great questions. It comes up all the time. Um, you know, I think that, I think that we, we, we owe a lot to that class of medications as far as, you know, what it's done for reducing cardiovascular illness burden and death. There's no doubt about it. Um, I think as we continue into uh, the future and using a lot of innovative research techniques and analyzing big data to figure out, you know, who are the most appropriate patients to benefit from a statin? What is the right, you know, agent and dose to use? Um, I think we'll continue to um, hone in and really refine that, uh, that risk assessment and, and risk reduction. That said, there's also a ton of data, uh, like indisputable data that has demonstrated the safety of statins. Like I, the safety profile of statins is um, phenomenal. And I think, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, there were things that we were worried about that really haven't come to play with the fact that, you know, tens and hundreds of millions of people have been on these medicines now for decades, you know, particularly with the impact on uh, the liver and the impact of, does it affect, you know, diabetes risk and, you know, this extremely rare risk of rhabdomyolysis that, you know, I've, I've never even heard of a case. And so I think a lot actually has leaned, um, uh, at least in the, the medical literature, has made us feel that statins are, are, are really a safe medicine. And we don't, uh, the guidelines don't even recommend checking some of the things regularly that right. we used to do many years ago. So I think that, um, uh, you know, so I think that's, that's very promising. So I try and share those um, that information with patients. And, you know, there are things that patients can do to, if they are having say muscle cramps from statins, like coenzyme Q is a good, um, agent. You can also try other statins. You know, there's many in the class now, um, or slightly reduce the dose, you know, even though there's a, a good dose response relationship, um, uh, for patients where statins indicated just being on any statin is beneficial. Yeah. And I always tell people, you know, for, for something, something like a statin, obviously we want to get you on sort of a therapeutic dose, but even a little bit of statin can help, you know, thin out the uh, atherosclerotic plaques and, and reduce the risk of um, high blood pressure and cardiovascular events and thrombosis and, and you name it. Right. Um, yeah. And, and some patients, I find this takes some time and can, some convincing and you have to have multiple conversations with them. And um, most again, most of my patients are very passionate about lifestyle and they say, doc, give me, give me a chance. Let me work on my diet. Let me work on my exercise. And I'm like, well, your LDL is 
210 and chance of you getting that down just with exercise is pretty low, right? Let's, let's do both. Right. And and so I, I think sometimes it's a conversation and really it takes a while sometimes. And that's what I, that's part of the reason I love being a primary care doctor is you build that longitudinal relationship with patients over time. Um, and you can say, remember that conversation we had about a statin last year? Yeah. Well, it's looking like we should probably start it again now or, or, or reconsider That's it. Right. Too. There are a lot of myths out there, it's, uh, you know, about statins for sure. And so a lot of our job is uh, working to dispel those myths, but, you know, and also just meet the patients where they are and help understand what's most important to them. Cause at the end of the day, you know, our job isn't to be, um, paternalistic or prescriptive to our patients is to educate our patients so that they can make the best decisions for themselves. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. so well said. So I love, well said. I love that case you presented with the LDL 210 because um, uh, I, 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 you probably have a program like this in Southern California. I, I don't know, but we have one of my colleagues started a familial hypercholesterolemia program where, mm-hmm. you know, they can go out and just find patients who have say an LDL over 200, which is really a high risk marker for FH. Exactly. And it's so important uh, to identify because uh, that's a genetic condition um, and children who have that uh, actually need to get put on statins in childhood. And it can be, you know, it can reduce their risk of having an MI, which often is guaranteed in that condition mm-hmm. uh, by a massive number. Yeah. Uh, so that's, you know, those are some areas where I think big data and AI really can have such a big impact on what we do, because as I find in my thoracic aneurysm work, um, you know, rare diseases are rare, not everyone knows about them. And so you need, you need some support. But when you identify a case where there's something hereditary, identifying all the family members is so important. I mean, you know, it's, uh, you, you can really save a life that way. You know, I've had patients where they have an aneurysm that's just mild or moderate, but we hear, uh, you know, in our detective work, we find out there's some family uh, syndrome that may be going on. When we test the children, the, the kids, you know, the kid who maybe is an adult kid, let's say like 20s or so, may have a massive aneurysm that needs to have surgery straight away and would right. have gone undetected and you know, could have been fatal. So um, I love that about our system that we can do that. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's, let's chat a little bit about sort of the other kind of preventive thing we can do here is, is controlling blood pressure. So obviously yeah. hypertension is a significant uh, risk factor for, for heart disease and, and coronary disease. And kidney problems and you name it. There are a lot of other issues too. So what are your, what are your favorite tips for in, improving blood pressure? Uh, what do you tell physicians who are trying to counsel their patients? What do you tell patients um, regarding, you know, best ways to improve blood pressure? Yeah. Well, the first step is really just like knowing your number, right? Like checking it in the first place and um, not avoiding that. You know, if that means doing it as a patient uh, in the Walgreens, you know, where uh, they have a cuff, that's great. Or yep. getting a cuff, you know, from a, um, for yourself, which are only about 20 or 30 bucks. <clears throat> so, um, so knowing your number is really important. And K- KP is always obviously great about that. You can't barely walk through the door without getting your blood pressure checked. Um, but there are a lot of lifestyle things that can be done in addition to um, uh, medications. Uh, you know, a healthy diet, weight loss, if you're overweight, is really important. Reducing stress, you alluded to that earlier. And I think that we as a society are really better understanding the impact of stress and anxiety on our health and really, uh, you know, moving toward helping <clears throat> mitigate that, um, you know, whether that's with meditation apps, you know, that uh, actually KP makes, I think, free for, for members. Um, but those are really important things. Reducing salt in your diet is another important one. And exercise, 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 I think is really key. Good sleep is actually being... Um, you know, found to be, uh, you know, there's more attention being paid to, to good sleep patterns and making sure you get enough uh, restful sleep. And 
understanding its impact on health. So there are a lot of things you can do, um, you know, in addition to if you need medications to help uh, reduce uh, uh, blood pressure. Great. Awesome. Yeah. Great, great tips. Yeah. Well, this is wonderful. We could probably go on all day, but we try <laughs> to keep these pretty high yield. So last question here, and, and you've talked a lot about this too, but, but what makes you most proud to be a Permanente physician? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, one thing when people ask me what working at, at KP is like, um, and I say this and it, it sounds kind of corny, but I really think it's true is that it's a place where um, I, I really believe in the mission and the mission of KP really puts the patient at the center of everything we do. And, you know, one, the reason I came here is because it's an integrated system. The incentives are aligned to really do what's right for the patient and not have to think about anything else. Every, you know, no one is looking over our shoulder telling us, hey, do this, do that. You know, um, pe- that's a big misconception about misconception about KP. It's really just do what's right for the patient. And that is always, you know, the most important thing, no matter what it is. And yeah. um, so it feels really good. And I'm really proud to work in a place where um, that's the mission. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Dr. Solomon, so much for joining us today and, and sharing your expertise. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you. It was wonderful to be here great day. And, and, and thanks to all of you out there for, for watching or listening to this podcast. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and are not meant to represent the views of the Permanente Federation, the Permanente Medical Groups, or Kaiser Permanente.